From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 81. Today's show is brought to you by Casper and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the Italian stallion, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Mike. Hello, Federico. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And I'll mm-hmm. explain in one moment why it's just pretty good, because we have an absent colleague today. Yeah. Um, we, there's been a, a real bout of sickness and stuff in this show over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the benefits of having a three-person show, is that, you know, if somebody is sick or indisposed in some way, they can step away and then let two of us carry on. So Stephen's oh. away this week. I thought Stephen snuck on, onto the, the honeymoon with our friend Matt and his wife. It could be. <laughs> it just doesn't, he just didn't tell us. It He's actually be. hiding in in the closet, you know. So Steven. he has told me that he is unwell. Um, he's actually told you. Uh, he's, he's told me. He's actually told me he's at the doctors as we're recording this right now. But I shared a room with Stephen mm-hmm. um, over the last few days. We were uh, in Dallas for Matt Alexander's wedding, and I feel ever so slightly sick again, just a little mm. bit. Yeah, but you're not sick. I mean, no, the guy is does not telling the truth. Okay, you know. Well, I can we'll, get on board with that. We'll question Stephen as soon as he comes back. If. If he comes back. Yeah, you never know sure. what will happen, right? Mike, let me do the honors here and uh, do the follow-up section of our show. Oh, uh, so people are asking, Mike, uh-huh. uh, what are your plans for your home server uh, that you want to do? You know, we, you talked about Plex. Uh, you talked about, you know, setting up a server in your house with a, with a Mac Mini, I think. So w- w- what do you want to do? So this is the thing. There's a, there's a couple of things that I would like to do with having this Mac Mini home server. So primarily, I want to set up Plex on it. And this is because everybody, I know many people that use Plex and love Plex. Um, and one of the things is that we're having an issue with is the, the, the speed, the download speed in my home means that we can't necessarily get all the shows that we want to get, but we could stream them from other people's Plex libraries. And when I say shows, I mean home movies, of course. <laughs> yes. But we would be able to stream them from family and friends, uh, their servers, right, is my understanding mm-hmm. of how Plex works. So that would help with us trying to get all of the home movies and videos that we've been trying to get because it's difficult for us to download them. Uh, so that's one thing. So I want to set up Plex for that sort of stuff and just to maybe have somewhere where I can put all of this media because like I have a bunch of movies and stuff, but like I just when I have them somewhere. I have a question for you. Do you, you use Plex? Not really. Okay. Because no. I wonder if on the iOS app you can download locally from Plex. That would be cool. Uh, from what I remember, you should be able to download things locally, like an offline cache. Yeah. See, that would be good. I would like that because then when I go on trips and stuff, I could just download. From like from my own server to the iPad, so stuff like that, right? Like I want somewhere where I can put movies and TV shows, so I have it on a machine that's doing whatever it's doing. Dave in the chat room, thank you, Dave, told me that you can do that. You can download with the app, so I want to do that kind of thing. Um, I maybe want to have something that's set up to do BitTorrent um, that we can just leave on to do that stuff when we're sleeping to, to download the home movies to download the home movies and yeah. legal um what uh 
what is it create not creative <laughs> commons what is you know, it uh stuff that's out of copyright i can't remember yeah. the term you know you know mike uh downloading home movies from strangers sounds quite dirty oh no friends <laughs> friends movies you know oh, yeah, like your friends, home oh. movies and uh steven's home movies it's, it's all <laughs> wow. above board here I, I didn't know steven was into that stuff but okay i you know i <laughs> I'm getting out of this conversation. So BitTorrent for something, and then maybe just uh, just in general, public domain. Dave, you're 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 really helping me out here today. Public domain movies is the other thing that I'm looking for. You know, like all the out of co- uh, out of copyright stuff, um, and also ha- maybe having some kind of network attached storage. You know, if I just have some big files, so I've got somewhere to put them, so I can just throw them onto the Mac Mini. So this is these are some of the things that I'm thinking of. This is some of the stuff that jumps to mind. Um, and I wonder if you, Federico, have anything else that you think I could be missing from this setup. I don't know. So what I'm doing with my uh, Synology is um, torrents. Um, I don't use Plex, but I use uh, DS Video, which is basically the same thing. It's called Video Station. Uh lets you watch, you know, home movies, that kind of stuff. Um Maybe you should consider, Mike, I don't know if you have um, albums or, you know, music that is not available on streaming services. You could also put them on plaques yeah. and listen to those. What I also do is I have a, a basically a second tier backup of my Google Drive and Dropbox. So anything I save to Dropbox also goes to my uh, Synology, you know, just because I have the enough storage and it's good, in, you know, it's good enough to have another copy. Um, I know people when they set up, you know, uh, maybe this is a little more advanced, but when they do uh, usually Mac Minis with OS X server, some people like to run their own uh, like calendar servers or uh, mail servers. That's a little too much, I feel like. Especially you know when you use Google Apps, you don't really need to, uh, you know, to do the kind of do it on do it on your own kind of thing. Uh, I feel like that's basically it, Mike. Just consider maybe music and you know another layer of backups. That's what I would say. Yeah, backups um, is a good thing. So basically, part of it for me is. Having some of the advantages of having a Mac which is on all of the time because yeah. I don't like to leave my iMac on twenty four seven. I know that there's some, there's not a lot wrong with doing that. They don't draw a lot of power, but there's just something about it. I just don't want this machine on all the time because then it means that like my USB pre my my audio stuff is always on as well. Mm. Um, and I just I just don't like the idea of that. I I, I want them sometimes to just be turned off not drawing power not cycling or anything like that what about what about automation with hazel you know to automate things that you cannot automate on ios yeah i could do it i'll tell you one thing that has been uh that i've realized recently is i set up um hazel rules based on some stuff that you had written before to organize my photos in dropbox folders nice oh um but i realized a couple of days ago that that is happening those rules exist on my macbook and I'd forgotten that. Hmm. So basically, when you open your MacBook, it organizes photos. Yep. But when you don't, it doesn't. Exactly. Uh-huh. So it, I realized the other day that I haven't had any photos organized in like a month. Because I very hmm. rarely use the MacBook. Well, that's a use for, for a Mac that, that's always on. Exactly. Yeah. So then I could ha- I would move the rules to there and have it do it there. Because that Mac is just always on doing whatever it's doing, and it can do that stuff when I'm 
doing other things and it's using a different Wi-Fi network. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking of. Um, so I, and I'm, I don't know when I'm going to set this up, but it is going to happen mainly because about every two days, Adina bugs me about it because she really wants Plexa up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna happen it's because it's not just me that wants it to be done you know what you should do you should do the the mic version of steven's crazy hobby you should store uh versions of ios on the on the server mm. yeah you know? i could do that you know when when an update comes out you just download like 41 files for each device you archive them on the server then you buy like a two terabyte ssd that's gonna cost you like Three grands, but you can have a. You can. Oh, I, I think they they are. Oh, you, did you say SSD? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, no, they probably are. <laughs> uh, you, you can have a pretty sweet archive, Mike. I will look into that. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. sure you will. Uh, we have a listener comment. Yeah, Michael. this uh, has been dropped into our document by our absent co-host, and there's no name attached to this. So I'm just going to refer to this person as anonymous listener wrote in. And this is about Apple's software issues being a potential QA problem. So I'll just read this and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So this person says, I get the feeling that Apple lacks the imagination to test much beyond the obvious happy paths. iTunes freaks out for me when it's taken offline and pops up new error dialogues scores of times if left unattended overnight. My bet is that Apple is not testing extensively on machines, say, without an SSD, without an internet connection, and no iTunes music all at once. Like, that is like a potential unhappy path. Like, if you had all of those three things occurring together, are they testing to see what would happen there? I constantly get errors when I take my iMac offline and have strange UI issues that I assume happen because of my late 2013 iMac struggling with its spinning platter hard drive. So this person is kind of outlining here some things that they have some issues that they have when they have multiple weird things happening at once um, or because they have a machine that's slightly out of date and my question to you federico is is it reasonable to think that apple should be testing their software <laughs> mm -hmm. on so many different setups with lots of different issues to see what happens I mean, isn't that what QA stands for? To test, sure, to test exactly those unusual scenarios. And I mean, they're not so unusual. You know, the internet is down. So, how does the app behave? I mean, that's not too crazy to think about. And plus, uh, 2013 is not so old. I mean, we're no. not talking about it. You know, 2006 MacBook. We're talking just you know, not even three years ago. Um, I think it's reasonable to expect that Apple should test these, you know, unhappy paths, you know, to... Yeah. Like, I've experienced this myself, especially yeah, with Apple Music. Yeah. Like, if, if the internet connection is down, iTunes goes crazy because it can't authenticate with Apple Music. Yeah. And I have to sometimes quit the app to stop it from bugging me, you know? Um, so there are... I feel like these things are there, and I am inclined to agree with you that with a company of their size with admittedly really as few product lines as they have this is the sort of stuff that they should be testing and i expect that they are to an extent um but if these things are genuine and they happen to a lot of people then i mean i feel like we don't stop talking about this software quality thing but it's the current it's the current meme right it is the thing um and this is a good example 
another good example uh, of where these things start to break down. You know, I, I feel like, uh, just like uh, App Review, well, we had a story on, on, on the site. Uh, Which is last a great week. article that people should read if they haven't already. Graham did an incredible job with that. No, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, he's been working on it real hard, and yeah. it's been qu- quite uh, quite the research, you know, <laughs> effort. Um, just like App Review, I feel like if Apple was a little more open about, you know, this is actually what goes on. We have these many people working on App Review, or we have these many people working on QA, and there are different teams, you know, someone does iTunes, and there's like 50, 50 people do Finder, you know, just have a little more details would maybe alleviate a lot of these questions and a lot of these concerns from, you know, Mac and iOS users. Because right now, App Review, Apple QA, it's this black box, and no one knows yep. what, what, what's, what's going on inside of it. It's easy to assume there's three people, because you don't know that there's any exactly i mean the counterpoint would be well if apple ever said look we have 50 people working on qa for itunes then when people come across a problem or a bug in itunes people would be like i mean 50 people and they don't catch this so there's definitely you know a counterpoint to be made but the fact that we have little to no details about app review and qa um as the uh, the result of these two parts of Apple being the ones where people speculate the most about. Um, I, I generally believe that these problems that uh, Anonymous Listener uh, brought in, uh, those should be definitely tested, you know. Uh, and another, another, uh, other instances of similar problems like offline with Apple Music or even you should try to be offline with some iOS extensions or offline with document providers, see what happens. You know, it's not pretty yeah. most of the time. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe there's not enough people. Maybe they didn't test these scenarios. We don't know because we have no details, only our speculation. So again, let's hope it gets better. <laughs> I saw something pretty interesting on Mac Rumors yesterday. Yeah. Um, it's an app called Flexbrite. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw that too. <laughs> this application uh, kind of came out, I think, uh, over the weekend. And basically, Flexbrite is a third-party application that produces some of the effects that Night Shift does on 9.3. Yeah, only it's basically uh, ugly, and the effects are not as pretty as Night Shift. I bought the app last night. So did I, and it, it is a UI nightmare. It, 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 it's, it's like horrific. someone... You know, through the controls, all it looks the like UI kit threw up, right? Yes, like there's this <laughs> UI kit buttons everywhere. It barely makes any sense. Like the opening screens are horrific. Like they've taken some screenshots, and they're all like distorted. Like it yes. is a it's terrible, real ugly app. But yes. it works. Though. But it does work. Yes, it's it can set the the screen so not just inside the app but in any app on the home screen, other you know third party apps. 
it can change the colors of the screen to be essentially more yellow and if you switch to warmer colors so the idea is similar to flux and night shift uh, you can there's a slider you can move from cool to warm colors and yeah. if you go all the way up to the, to the warmest setting it's actually quite green not even yellow yeah um, I, I don't think they really suggest that you do that so much right that they make suggestions in the same way that flux does but it it gives more. So, for example, Flux on my Mac, the colors towards the end of the evening get warmer and warmer. That doesn't happen with Night Shift. No. And no. so sometimes I'm I'm editing late or something, and my Mac feels more comfortable to my eyes than Night Shift does. So FlexBrite will give you some of that. Like, it will go warmer and warmer and warmer, right, Like it, as the day progresses. And the way that it does it, it's quite interesting. So it sends you a notification to alert you to either take some eye exercises, which I thought was kind of cool because mm -hmm. it's saying, you know, to try and prevent eye strain. And then we'll suggest to you to change your brightness or it will do it automatically when you open the application. And then, as you say, it works throughout the OS then. Now, Mac Rumors is saying that basically the way that this has been done is there's no private API. The Flex bright developers are taking advantage of some uh, of a native objective c library that filters the blue light from the ios screen and mac rumors also suggests quite strongly that flex bright and apple work together on this yeah that was strange i've been thinking about this what i think this means is they worked closely with app review could be. I don't think that FlexBright and Apple have a business partnership. I, I don't think that. Uh, I ju it just feels odd to me that to say that they're not using private APIs. And I say that not necessarily because of the brightness and the colors, but because of the dark mode. Have you seen that? Yeah, but that's just... Um... That's the actually the inverted colors setting. Th that's an accessibility setting, but I don't recall of third-party apps being able to change that accessibility setting at a system-wide level. Right, but that might be what this native Objective C library is. That might be in there. But what's the name of? I mean, I, I it's the first time I see apps, you know, not using private APIs being able to do this. But who's ever tried? Uh, on the App Store, no one, because it's yeah. a private API. Well, <laughs> Flux tried, but it was a side-loading thing. Is it private, though? Is it like I mean, I don't know. Like, it, Could it be just part of this Objective-C library? No, no, no. It's, it's an implementation detail, really. Right. The key discussion is, did Apple really work with this company to have a, a third-party brightness-changing tool? So I, I think that this went through App Review, and it got bumped up, and they worked with... Somebody a little bit higher than the regular reviewer to let this through. That that's how I look at this, because um, because you could say quite easily, "Oh, we worked with Apple," but it's not like you worked with you know the marketing and engineering teams to develop an application. It's like you you did you made this app and then Apple kind of helped massage it with you, like saying, for example, "No, you can't do this automatically. You have to do it by notification." That's what I think's happened here. Why do you think they did that? Um, I think that Apple has allowed this app because it will allow uh, people that 
can't get 9.3 to take advantage of something that Apple is saying should be in all phones. No, it's not just 9.3. It's people who can get iOS 9. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, so anybody who can't get 9.3, like, because they can't get iOS 9. Let me check this out. So what's the system requirement for Flexbrite? Let's see if it supports iOS 8. So from the, uh, the Mac Rumors article, uh, suggests that it will be able to. Flexbrite is available on devices running iOS 7 or iOS 8. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, the App Store says the same thing. So that, that would be my, my thinking is that they're allowing this and um, maybe you know helping helping this come to the store right in the whatever way they need to do this so apple have something in the store which is available for people that can't get night shift because now this is a thing that apple was saying for health reasons or whatever yeah. you know whatever yeah, whatever yeah. reasons they're kind of saying that they're, they're being kind of loose about the wording but we'll say for health reasons that your device should do this but if a device can't do this because it can't get iOS 9, does that mean that those people shouldn't benefit from the health? Yeah, aspect? that makes sense to me. That's my thinking. And yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated in the, in the Mac Rumors article, and I'm sure many articles that will be written, the, critici- the kind of implied criticism by saying that Flux was, uh, pulled, like, you know, was, was demanded to be pulled away, was not allowed, as they said in this article. I don't think that Apple necessarily had a problem with functionality. I think Apple didn't like the fact that they were promoting people sideloading applications onto their devices. Yeah, that got on their on their nerves. I think. And we have a story like just in a little bit which suggests why this sort of stuff can be so messy. You know, like that transmission malware, yep. Yep. right? Yep. Because yep. bad things can happen yes. if you're just putting apps on your device to go for the app store, right? It can happen. And I think that was the problem. I would dare to say that maybe if Flux... I don't know if they ever tried to submit this to the App Store. Uh, but maybe they could have been this person instead of Flux Broke. I don't know. You know what? <laughs> what's strange to me? If this company really worked with Apple to, to, you know, to cooperate and get the app on the App Store, why is the interface so ugly? So this is why I think when they say work with Apple... They work with AppReview. If you go to the website for Flexbrite, there's a download button uh, at the top, and it says, download from Apple Store. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> they did not work with this company no. in a partnership sense. No, no, no. That did not happen, because then this wouldn't look like this. They, I, believe, I feel that they just worked with AppReview. Must be, you know, like a couple of guys at App Review. They they talk to a manager, maybe. They're like, you know, there's this company. They want to make this tool for brightness, and we're gonna release Night Shift. Do we want to, you know, allow them to to be on the store so people with iOS seven and iOS eight can also have the same feature? And someone must have been like, yeah, whatever. Sounds like a good idea. You know, no big deal. Just don't let them uh, automatically change the brightness because otherwise, you know, the other developers will get real mad about it. So let them use notifications and whatever. Uh, You can also use 3D Touch, I think, as a shortcut, by the way. But still, it doesn't feel like an official, you know, like Apple works with the... No, I, I really, really do not think that that is the case here. It's not the research kit 
type of official partnership with you know institutions and organizations to have native iOS apps. It's like a company goes to app review and it's like, look, we want to make this tool. Can we release it on the app store? And it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Just don't do X and X, you know? Yep. So Could I, be. I, I, I really think that they're like, they want to use these libraries, which usually we don't let people use. They're going to change the colors of the screen. Is this okay? And they're like, well, we have Night Shift now. And that's how I assume it went through, right? And it just went up a few levels. Maybe it went to like somebody who works under Phil Schiller and they were like, yeah, okay, we'll let this through. Yeah. Yeah. They did not have a part. Like, I cannot believe that, that they would have done that because this thing is is all kinds of ugly. Like, yes. and I just I just can't imagine that's the case. I mean, because that, you know, it kind of, whether it should or it shouldn't, that's not really an, an app review rule. Is your app mm. ugly? Like, because well, uh, I mean, the, it, no, it, ugly, not ugly, right? Because <laughs> the thing no. is, we it doesn't. This app doesn't look nice, but it's not terrible. I've used apps that look worse than this. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. Oh, yeah. yeah, like it's just like it's not pixel perfect design. <laughs> no, <laughs> but like I mean, I've just had a scan over the flux stuff, and there doesn't appear to be, from what I can see any kind of hint towards the fact that they ever tried to work with Apple directly. Uh, yeah, I don't know either if they ever tried to submit uh, Flax to the App Store. We should look on the forums. Uh, there's, I think there's community forums for Flax. Yeah, if anybody knows that, send it in because I'd like to address that next week if that's the case. But my feeling is if they didn't, then, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, also, you know, a clarification. Uh, FlexBrite... Uh, tells you that there's a dark mode, but it's not really a dark mode. I mean, it gets, you know, it turns the screen it's just black. In, it just inverts the colors. It inverts the colors. Yeah. So, so when people like me and you, when we talk about having a dark mode on iOS, what we actually want is, uh, you know, a dark interface. but Like not to... how TweetBot works or yes. how uh, OmniFocus works, where it just changes the, the colors of the interface as opposed to inverting the colors. It doesn't invert the colors of icons and images, you know? Yeah. So it's the negatives, right? Yes. So it's like it's, a neg- like a first this is a negative effect of, uh, you know, it's the same setting of inaccessibility and on OS ten. I think there's the same option. Uh, this is not a system dark mode the way that we envision it. No. Or want. Or which want. there should yes. be, in my opinion. Uh, we'll talk about it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Casper an online retailer of premium mattresses that you're able to get yourself for a fraction of the price that you'll be used to paying in stores. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms by selling directly to you and then passing those savings along. Casper mattresses are resilient and they provide long-lasting, supportive comfort. They're one-of-a-kind mattresses that Casper have created. It is a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam and memory foam. It has just the right sink, just the right bounce. These two technologies come together to give you better nights and brighter days. It is an obsessively engineered mattress that they have created at a shockingly fair price, which stays fair because they sell direct. Usually, mattresses that you'll find in stores cost well over $1,500. Um, I know that when I paid for a mattress here in the UK, it was about that amount of money as well. Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin-size mattress, $750 for a full-size mattress, $850 for queen, and $950 
for King, and all Casper mattresses are made in America. That these prices are they're just fantastic. Casper understands the idea that buying a mattress online is quite an interesting thing because what you know in our minds we're used to going into these stores and you sit on the mattress and you're like, oh, I know that this is good. Although when you think about it, really, all you're doing is kind of just sitting on the mattress in your regular clothing with a bunch of people around you for five minutes. It's kind of weird. So Casper tackles both of these things in a really great way. When you buy a Casper mattress, they will ship it to you for free in a lovely little box. You open it up. It's kind of magical. You sleep on it, and you know if it's right for you by sleeping on it. And you get 100 days to make your decision. If within that 100-day period you don't like your Casper mattress, you can return it for free. They'll come and pick it up. So you get to actually sleep on this mattress for 100 days to check that it's right for you. It's a really great deal. The sense of this show can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash connected and using the code connected at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Please see the site for details. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting this show and Relay FM. Okay, so Mr. Federico Fatici, one of your mm. uh, favorite applications, got a little update. Um, <laughs> yes. So it's Workflow. Yes. Uh, can you detail what you like about this this new update? So yesterday, version 1.4.4 of Workflow was released on the App Store, and it comes with two, uh, at least for me, big changes. The first one is a new action to overlay an image on top of another image. And the reason why uh, I've been looking forward to this is um, in some of my reviews and articles on Mac Stories, I want to have iOS screenshots, so either iPhone or iPad screenshots, inside those pretty uh, device frames that Apple provides you for free from the marketing assets on the web. And uh, the the way that I used to generate these images um, a few months ago used to be on my Mac. I would just use, you know, uh, Acorn to put uh, screenshots inside of these frames. There are web services as well that I've used. I can't remember them. But yeah, there's some of them I don't like them just because you can tell those are super fake or like they're sure. used by a ton of people. So, you know, there's services with um, like pretty backgrounds, like fancy desks or like there's a fake hand uh, with an iPhone and a coffee on the other side. I don't like those because it's to me it looks fake. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Sometimes. I mean, I agree with you. Just face on screenshot on device white background like you do that's what i like as well yeah i like to be you know simple in yeah. the, in, the, in that regard yeah put the focus on the app yeah uh lately i've been using uh, pixel meter on on ios to do the same sure. or i've been using long screen which is this uh, screenshot utility for ios that can put your screenshot uh, inside of these frames um the, the reason why i want to automate the process is i want more control and i want to you know mix and match iphone and ipad screenshots i want to control the alignment of those screenshots so with the new overlay action you can take an image to use as the background, which in my case is the the iPhone 6s Plus frame or the iPad Pro frame, and you can put an image on top of that image, and the result is a JPEG that you can save to the photo library or you can share with extensions. In my case, I save it to the Photos app and I later uh, upload it to my CDN. So mm-hmm. this is super convenient. You, know, you can you can automate um, anything about the process. You can control uh, the size. You can control where the file comes from. Uh, in my example. Um, 
I store the assets in iCloud Drive just because you know it's faster than fetching the file from Dropbox because it you know it runs natively on on iOS all the time. So that's super convenient. It's gonna be real real useful uh, when I put together you know longer reviews or uh, stories for the website. All right. So I have a question for you. Yes. How do you uh, like? How do you position them? Oh well. Um, Workflow has an option to paste the image uh, at the center of the background image. And the way I did this is I cut the um, frames precisely so that I knew the black portion of the screen would be where the image would be pasted onto. It's just a simple calculation with the pixels. And I had a little bit of trouble with the PSD for the iPad Pro. So I asked my girlfriend, Sylvia, to take out of that for me. And she centered the, the iPad frame so that the workflow would be, image would be pasted, you know, in the right position. Right. Uh, it's just a toggle that you say, I want to paste, I want to overlay in the center and, you know, workflow takes care of right. everything for you. So you just need to make sure that you have the assets yes. that will allow that alignment. Yes. So I guess, can you lay uh, images next to each other as well? Uh, no, there's a separate action for that. You oh, can, nice. Yeah, there's combined images, which I use at the end of the, yeah. of the workflow. So after I paste you know, each screenshot into the device it belongs to, uh, because I do calculation to see what's the resolution here, uh, do I need to paste on inside of an iPad or inside of an iPhone? Is it portrait or landscape? Uh, at the end, each of these you know, iPhones and iPads is joined with a combined image action. So it so, does it automatically. All you yes. do is go to the screenshot and yeah. say, put it into a frame and it works it out on its own and puts it into the correct frame for you. Yes. Federico. <laughs> Federico. <laughs> I know yesterday I got a lot of people, uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were very happy on Twitter. Someone sent me a gif of Jesus as a, as a yeah. thank you. I, I mean, sure. That's a big thank you. <laughs> 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 it's about as big a thank you as you can get, I think. <laughs> you know, uh, there's also another action, Mike. It lets uh -huh. you convert. Uh, this is quite nerdy. It lets you convert uh, HTML back to Markdown. So usually you hear about people converting Markdown to HTML. Oh, but what well, I, I kind of glossed over this in the review in the in the release notes. I was like, oh, I have loads of apps that can do this, but I didn't realize it's the other way this around. Is the other way around. So you have HTML and you want to clean it up but turn it into Markdown and yeah. plain text. The reason why I need to do this when I'm using Safari on my iPad, usually, and I want to link to someone else's article on Mac Stories, I want to quote some text from their website. Mm -hmm. If you only use copy and paste, you know, with the iOS copy menu, you lose all of the formatting. And of course, iOS doesn't have any, you know, rich text to Markdown conversion tool. Can so, I just take a break one, one moment? Sure. And just say how ridiculous this is. <laughs> I know. The copy and paste menu needs a serious overhaul in general. I'll tell you what, let's let's take a carry on. We'll take a beat about that in a moment. Okay. Uh, so with this workflow, I can select some text, run the workflow. It finds the rich text in Safari, turns the rich text to HTML. That's a that's a built-in feature of workflow, uh, and then the HTML is converted to Markdown. So when I'm in drafts or editorial. Wink, wink, Mike. Editorial. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I can I can uh, go on without having to see HTML 
but when the link post will be published, there will be the original formatting from the source, from the website. So it's a nice way to not lose any formatting when quoting other people. Uh, it retains, you know, italic, bold, links, whatever. I just want to make sure that when I link to someone, uh, the the quote that I include on MacStories as the original version of their text. That's real smart. How do you get the HTML? Uh, basically, Workflow gets uh, a Safari selection. That Safari selection is HTML. Okay. So... It, it, workflow tells you it's rich text. The action is actually called convert rich text to markdown, not convert HTML to markdown. But it's okay. basically the same thing, yeah. So it, it goes in and grabs the HTML yeah. on its yeah. own. Yeah. So and you just uh, select a block of text. Yeah, in Safari or any other, wow. you know, Safari View Controller, whatever. Uh, or you can you can give it uh, rich text from other apps, you know. Uh, the The underlying feature that does this is based upon i don't think it's a straight adaptation it's based upon uh aaron swartz uh, excellent yeah. html to text which uh, came out about a decade ago i think so i i used to run html to text all the time in pythonista super super handy after last week's episode i got quite a bit of criticism from, I mean, a few places from people who were saying to me um, why do you want, you know, why why do you want all these features for iOS? Like, you know, I was saying like using three apps at once mm-hmm. when OS ten does it all, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying that to me. It's like, you know, you you you're you will basically want to use OS ten. Why don't you just use OS ten? Why are you why are you forcing yourself to use iOS? And this is exactly it. So I know that Automator exists. I know that AppleScript exists. I can't do these things. I can't do them. I don't understand how to do them. I don't know how to code anything. I don't get it, right? And any scripts that I've found, I'm always a little bit scared to run them if I don't know where they've come from because they could do anything to my Mac because it's so open for this sort of stuff, right? Um, like I remember once when uh, we mentioned Matt, uh, he had a, a, a wedding. Uh, there was one time where Matt wrote a script for himself <laughs> to automate his photos and instead deleted basically everything on his hard drive. Right? That's the sort of stuff that can go horrifically <laughs> yes, wrong. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> With workflow, I am able to build these workflows on my own. I've done it because the UI is really simple and it explains everything to you. But other than that, I can just go and get your workflow and feel pretty confident in knowing what's going on because the way it displays everything to you is nice and clear. But no matter what it does... It can't really do anything extremely destructive. Yeah, and you have to give it permission if you want to delete stuff. Exactly. And this, so basically what I'm getting at is this application exists for iOS and it's amazing. There is nothing exactly like this on OS X. There are things that do do what it does. There are things that are more powerful. But to a user like me and to many other people like me, this is where the innovation is happening. This is where the apps are happening and it's on iOS. The the thing that you're talking about was the screenshots. I could now do this really easily. But I wouldn't be able to do it so easily on OS ten anymore. So that this is what I'm talking about with like my desire to do more and more of my stuff on iOS. Because the exciting things are happening there, new things are happening there, and they're in a way that makes sense to me more than some of the stuff that's on OS ten. So I just wanted to take that that slight aside as a kind of a follow up on last week. 
Yeah, I I I agree with you. Um, you know, when um, just because you sh you're able to do more or more powerful things on on a Mac or you know a PC even, it doesn't mean that people who don't want to use those computers shouldn't have access to the same features. Meaning, if some people can do this automation in a better way on a Mac, you know, with Keyboard Maestro or with Python, doesn't mean that iOS people who want to use iOS are stupid or that shouldn't have access to the same automation. It's just in a different package. It's yeah. more user-friendly. It's different. And if you can do it and you can do things more powerfully and easier on the Mac, then you should. Yes. And you should be happy about that. Yes. But I can't. <laughs> and I don't want to take the time to learn. When I'm able to do these things on iOS, easier for me. That That's what it is. All right, let's, let's move on because now we've got a ton of other stuff. So Patrick sent in the chat room sent us a note to a forum post on the yes. Flux forums. And this is from Lorna from the Flux team. And what it says is, we'd love to offer Flux in the official app store, but we need some help from Apple. If you want to send them a nice note telling them how Flux has helped you and you'd like to see Flux in the official app store, you can submit feedback. This is kind of like what they wrote in their blog post. Yes, this is what I remember from the forums. Yeah. But again, what this suggests is we need affirmative action as opposed to we submitted it and they rejected it. It's, it I mean, that's it what I'm looking clear. for. Yeah, what, what this suggests is like they pulled us, help us get in there, but basically this doesn't say to me that they ever tried to submit it in the first place. They maybe did, but you know, if this is if this is all that there is about it, then it's kind of suggesting that they want help now they got, you know, kind of the, the ban hammer. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh right, rich text on iOS. What do you want to know, Mike? Well, I just want to moan about it. <laughs> uh, okay. I I think this is one of the biggest failings of iOS. I, I think it's ridiculous that rich text cannot be stored from application to application on the clipboard. Um, the fact that I can have a bulleted list in one app and I copy the bulleted list and I paste it in another app and then I've got asterisks instead. Um, when, again, on the on the Mac, that is no problem. It retains the bullets. Like if, I'm co if on the Mac I'm copying from notes on OS X to a Google Doc, um, it will keep the bullets. If I do it on iOS, it puts asterisks in. Uh, another one I do is I, I keep spreadsheets of things that I need to send to people. On OS X, if I copy the spreadsheet, paste it into my email client, it retains the table, right? If I do that on iOS, it's just like, here's just a bunch of text, like you just go crazy. The, this is copying, the copying and pasting of rich text is so fundamental. I can't believe that it's not part of iOS. It makes no sense to me. I'm going to tell you why that's the case, Mike. So I know for a fact, and I, I'm pretty sure it's still the case, that Apple itself uses different frameworks for rich text across mail, across notes, across pages. Um, most of the time, the problems that you see are stem from the fact that Apple themselves they don't have a unified rich text framework on ios so i'm pretty sure that's still the case at least with the notes app when you copy and paste rich text from notes and you try to paste the same text into mail you lose the formatting um uh, one of my wishes for the, the next version of ios is to have a new 
you know, a brand new rich text framework. Because I realized that rich text is not pretty. You know, it for a long time it caused you know compatibility problems with Word files, page files. But but Apple now is contributing to this long-standing you know stigma against rich text by not making proper rich text support on iOS a system feature. You know, um, it's just ridiculous that. Well, what's it like? Eight years into iOS, maybe nine years, uh, we still don't have a, a you know a good way to copy and paste rich text. Um, you know, maybe iOS ten, Mike, will be will be the solution. I really, I really hope that that is what happens. I just feel like this is something that should have been fixed so long ago. Yeah, know? yeah, and and I mean, it doesn't have to. Uh, to be that fancy uh, when when you copy say you copy some text from a note uh, and the text you copy also contains you know formatting lists and maybe one of those uh, link previews that you get with the with the new notes app mm-hmm. and you paste into mail it doesn't have to be you know the same link preview it doesn't have to be that fancy you can just paste it as a, as a normal link uh, or we could also mention the fact, Mike, that uh, generating plain uh, rich text, not just copying, but also making oh, gosh. Yeah, making rich text. So when you want to send an email message and you want to insert uh, a link to a web page, you cannot do like you do in any Mac app. You select yeah. some text and you say link. Yeah. You have to paste it as a, as a hyperlink, you know, separately. It's just awful. And, you know, on the iPhone, trying to get to bold controls and italics, you're swiping through menus. Yes. This is fundamental stuff. This is something that that needs to be rethought. And there you go. For the the people that love OS X, you now have a complaint from me about iOS. So let's go back to OS X again. Uh, There was an app called Transmission. Um, which is a BitTorrent app, I believe, yeah. used for downloading home movies. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've been using it for like five years for home movies for of, home of movies. all kinds. Yeah, um, th- there has been an issue. Uh, could you explain what's happened here? So, uh, I think Saturday um, there was an, a notice on the transmission website and in the transmission uh, updater for the Mac app that uh, a build uh, version 2.9 of transmission for OS X was compromised and it was uh, planting uh, malware on the file system on the Mac. Mm. And that malware was actually ransomware, which is a new type of infection that basically, uh, after usually after a few days, encrypts the contents of your drive and it puts up a dialogue on the screen asking you to pay so you know like a ransom asking you to pay to unlock the files Uh, usually this is a scam so you send these people money and they either clone your credit card or they take the money but of course they never unlock your computer Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a very nasty type of malware Uh, we we have the same problem uh, in Italy I you know my my father is a journalist, and he, he was telling me about uh, you know the the, the local police office uh, sent out a notice to the press in my hometown uh, about this new type of malware going around, huh. and he was like, "Did you know about this?" I mean, yeah, and I told him, "Yeah, 
Uh, and he was like, what's that about ransom? Uh, so I, I explained to my father, because he's not, you know, real tech-savvy. Yeah. Uh, I explained to him. Uh, so it's definitely one of the new trends among, you know, bad people. Now, the transmission case is quite peculiar, because the transmission... Of course, the app is not available on the Mac App Store, because Apple doesn't allow uh, torrent clients to be releasing there. But he was using Gatekeeper, which is Apple's uh, security measure on OS X, uh, which, you know, the user can launch a Mac app, download it from outside of the Mac App Store by granting permission to use gate, uh, to use that app through Gatekeeper, which is a certificate-based mechanism that authenticates the usage of that app. Apple, as soon as he was informed of the security breach and the malware infection uh, with that transmission build, revoked the Gatekeeper certificate from that uh you know from that build so people were no longer able to download the app but according to the, the transmission developers uh over 6000 downloads were you know made through the website to download an infected version of transmission and it's not clear if anyone came across the ransom notice yesterday because the two or three day uh, notice uh, was due to expire on on Monday, I think. Oh. Um, so Apple rushed immediately to revoke the certificate, and the transmission folks uh, replaced the corrupt build on their server with a with an update uh, with an updated version without the malware. Uh, what's quite scary is two things. One, uh, Gatekeeper is you know, convenient, so Apple has a kill switch for, you know, this type of bad stuff that can happen outside of the Mac App Store, but of course it only works after the fact. It's retroactive. What, it's retro... What, when Apple finds not out... Even, it's not even really retroactive, is it? No. It fix anything. It's... It, it's like a band-aid. Prevents... Yeah, it prevents yeah. from happening again. Um... And, you know, it, uh, Apple only find, finds out after the fact... Even if they keep a close eye, you know, on Twitter or social media or, you know, developer websites, they only find out after X number of people have come across the problem. And the second question, uh, which is actually quite scary, is how did this happen? So the transmission developers, they released this new version of Transmission for Mac, I believe after two years of the last update it actually made the news when transmission was updated i saw a bunch of articles on 9 to 5 mac and i think mac rumors because you know transmission is super popular and it didn't get an update for a couple of years so transmission was back and people were talking about it and a week later transmission is infected which is you know a weird coincidence were there any significant features added to this update no it was like os 10 capitan support well, a bunch of fixes you know not not anything groundbreaking uh the developer said said to reuters i think yesterday uh that it was a a hack to their server the transmission build from the transmission you know company was replaced with another build, with another gatekeeper certificate, and Apple revoked that gatekeeper certificate, not the that one. That is extremely good timing, right? Yeah. The app hasn't been updated in two years. A lot of people rush to download transmission well, again. They're getting ready to do another update, and just before that update goes out, because you assume that this version was feature complete, so just before the update goes out, it's replaced with 
a version that has all of the features in it, right? It is that version, including a new gatekeeper certificate and malware. Yes. I mean, I'm not trying to say that we have a conspiracy theory on our hands here, (laughs) but it feels like maybe somebody knew, right? Like, it's not that Transmission are attempting to, like the company... Or the people in charge there are attempting attempting to install this ransomware, but maybe a friend of someone who works there, or yes. you, you know what I mean. Like this is too much of a coincidence yep. for it to happen just before an update goes out after two years of no updates. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, one thought for you, Mike. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't have happened on the Mac App Store. No. But the well, Mac App Store, well, can we say that for sure? I don't know. Well, with sandboxing, you know, these apps cannot go and, you know, okay. insert files across right. the file system. Yeah, so even if the malware got in there, let's say it happened, right? Let's just say they didn't get noticed. It couldn't do anything. It couldn't No. go out into the system and delete the files, right? No, it couldn't physically access Version cool. yeah, I, I didn't want to just like flat out say, ah, oh, this is, would be fine because I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, that's the reason why you don't have malware on the on the iOS App Store. And when you do, it's usually based on another type of hack, such as a compromised version of Xcode, you know, yeah. uh, like it happened in China a uh, few, few months ago. Um, this wouldn't have happened on the Mac App Store, but the Mac App Store prohibits developers from, you know, submitting torrent clients. I feel like there's a discussion here to be made about, you know, opening up the Mac App Store to more types of applications. Because, you know, people with Macs download apps from the web. And the reason why they do is, in large part, because Apple doesn't want those apps on the Mac App Store. Because if if the Mac App Store was, you know, uh, the place where you go for all types of software... I believe that those wouldn't be 6,000 downloads, but they would be maybe, you know, like a couple of thousands. Way, way, way less. And this is partly on Apple's, you know? Just because they still force people to go to the web and to download software that can do nasty things to your file system, uh, this is the result. Sometimes, you know, you can put up all the security measures you want. You can use Gatekeeper. You can advise people to go to the Mac App Store. But if I want to download a Tyrant client or if I want to download an Adobe app and I download it from the web and that app has access to my entire file system, well, this is what happens. You know, when there's a problem, when there's a hack, there's a, you know, something gets compromised, this is the result. There's uh, also this weird, like, weird kind of irony about all of this that is a bit Torrent client. That can't yeah. be overlooked here, right? Like, there is like a weird irony of illegal activity based on more illegal activity. You know, well, I mean, I mean, we can talk about piracy. Yeah, uh, I mean, or- you know, whatever, like whatever. I mean, I'm, I was talking at the top of the show about BitTorrent, and I, I don't have a moral stance on piracy so much. Well, um, let me tell you this, Mike. Um, and I, I don't want to get into the legal or you know moral sides of this argument but if there was a way that you know studios came together and there were like there would be like look you you give us 20 euros a month or 30 euros a month and you can stream any tv show or any movie as soon as it goes out in the united states of america and no matter where you live 
you pay us. I would pay so hard. Right, so like, like, I pay for Netflix. I pay for Amazon Prime. But um, the content is all different. There. Exactly. And, I, and I'll give you an example of, of, of my, kind of my piracy thinking and, and how I use piracy if I ever do. I want to watch Seinfeld. I looked on all the streaming services. I looked on iTunes. You cannot buy Seinfeld digitally in the United Kingdom. It is not sold. You have to watch it on DVD or Blu-ray. And I don't want to do that. Because the devices I like to watch stuff on don't have a DVD or Blu-ray attached to them. There's no player attached to the device. So, the only way for us to get it in the format that we wanted it in was to pirate it. I am now watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's one of the creators, Larry David of Seinfeld, went to make Curb. And I am paying £15 a season on iTunes. I've bought four seasons. Because it's on iTunes. I will always pay. Like, I will always pay if I can. Sometimes I can't. And that's when I personally go to the piracy route. If I was to do that. I mean, for home movies, of course. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Do do you get what I mean? Like, I feel like we're in the same boat on this. Like, I will pay. Like, I'm paying for Netflix right now because I'm watching House of Cards. Because I can get it at the same time. It's the same with Breaking Bad when they did that, right? I will give money. If you just let me get the content, but you, there has to be that two-way street, and sometimes it doesn't work. Like with Seinfeld. Like Seinfeld is a 90s TV show, and I, for some reason, cannot buy it digitally in the United Kingdom. It doesn't make any sense. It just makes no sense to me. So I had to find it via other means. Yeah, if you, I generally believe if you want to cut piracy in half, worldwide release and streaming everywhere, Well, that's look what happened future. to Napster when the iTunes Music Store came into existence. Yeah. Anyway. But, you know, you, you cannot say to Australian people, well, we'll give you this TV show only in six months. <laughs> you know, everybody's in, already seen it. In today's world, it's just unacceptable to think yeah. that people in America get a TV show in English before anyone else. Like, you know? I'm a fan of the Mythbusters, right? And they're, they're currently in their final season. And in the UK... I'm on. I'm only halfway through the season, and I'm buying it on Amazon. Why can't I watch it at the same time? Like a couple of days ago was the finale, so I had to mute a bunch of people so I didn't, you know, because it's not like the show can be spoiled, right? Because it's not, you know. But I just didn't want to see anything about it because I won't get to see it for like another six weeks. Yeah. Why can't I see it at the same time? Doesn't make any sense. This one is owned by Discovery, and Discovery UK gets it six weeks later. <laughs> like what? What is this? It's the same company. Anyway, back to this BitTorrent thing, right? Yes. So this is really weird, and it highlights a bunch of issues. One of the issues is the effectiveness of Gatekeeper, right? Because there is clearly a benefit here in that it doesn't allow for anybody else. But mm-hmm. Gatekeeper is is not. It's not what the name suggests. Because the what? gate is, is breached before. It's, it's, it is a gate, but the people who are inside It should be called of... Drawbridge, right? <laughs> because it comes up maybe a little bit too late after some people have broken into the town. Yes. Right? It's not down protecting people, you know? Basically, the, the milk that has been spilled stays on the ground, stays on, stays on the floor. It just it prevents new milk from being spilled. 
that's how it works. And again, it, it's a it's an after the fact kind of solution. Uh, now, what happens to those six thousand downloads? We don't know. Uh, are any Mac users seeing the ransom dialogue on the screens? We don't know. Does Apple have a solution if you have an affected MacBook? Uh, to, you know, you bring it to the Genius Bar and they fix it for you. We don't know. Should what they even? Should they? Uh, what type of the, of encryption uh, do these hackers use? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of questions, and there's no solution that I know of. Uh, you know, me, uh, they acted kind of quickly. I mean, two days isn't too bad. Still. We don't in know a how many funny people... way, though, this just further pushes the problem of the problems of the Mac Store, Mac App Store. Yes. Right. Yes. If you ignore this app, ignore that it is a BitTorrent app, which would never get in the Mac App Store anyway. Let's say it was something else, like an app from Adobe. Well, we had it a couple of weeks ago, right? Where um, Adobe. Like, the Creative Cloud update was deleting files from people's root directory, right? Yeah. When it was, like, deleting the Backblaze files. That wouldn't happen if it was in the App Store, if sandboxing was was in effect here. So, to stop this kind of craziness, these apps should all be in the App Store. But the App Store isn't good enough via the standards of these traditional developers. It's like, in a funny way, it just comes back around to being like, well... If the app store was more inviting, maybe this stuff would happen less. Uh, l- let me let me ask you what some people may see as a crazy question, Mike. Do you believe in the future people shouldn't be able to poke around and play with the file system? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the way I see it um, is... I, okay, okay. Let... I think that in future operating systems, mm-hmm. like what we have now and what may continue, don't be don't be scared, Mike. Go on. I think that it should be locked down, like iOS. See, that's, uh, that's what uh, I think. I'm thinking the same thing, actually. You know, if you give someone access to the file system, you shouldn't take it away. You shouldn't take it away. Sure, uh, that makes sense. People have always been able to poke around, play with you know things on a computer, and you know one of the big reasons people like computers is that they can change anything. They can have a command line, you know, they can customize the entire experience. But eventually, there's gonna be problems, and the moment that you give access to a user to the file system, you also give access to developers. Developers can screw up like Adobe did, or developers can be compromised like Transmission was, and that's going to be you know problematic. I personally, this is going to sound like heresy to some people, but I wouldn't mind a future where you have to jailbreak a Mac if you want to poke around and do crazy things, just because the the net benefit of increased security for everyone. Provided that Apple comes up with ways to, you know... Yeah, like, this is the other part of this, is, like, in in the same way that I'm saying this, I feel that there also needs to be better tools... Yes. ...in these future OSs to counteract the fact that a lot of this tinkering is taken away. Yes. 
Now, I don't know what this stuff looks like, right? But like, if you're thinking about what the future of operating systems look like, it's that. I mean, security is so important, and iOS is more secure because it was built specifically. And that's a fact. Think about it. It's like you just think about these things in a, in a specific way, and they're like, well, third parties are the problem in a lot of instances. Let's restrict them. Right? Yeah. And so if you're thinking about what future operating systems look like, Mac OS or Mac OS X will not be around in 100 years. It will be something else, right? Um, and I think that that something else will be closer to iOS than OS X. I mean, just think about it. What if the future is VR? And in the future, you work <laughs> in VR. Hold on. And you give developers, you give a third-party access to, to your VR system because, you know, that's the way computers have always been. What if that someone plants a virus in VR and that virus is like a scary monster that creeps up on you and scares you and you have a heart attack and you die? Huh. <laughs> that's a real... I mean, I, I get mean, where you're going, crazy. but that's a big stretch. Is it crazy, though? Is it crazy to think it's a that... Little, it's if, a little crazy. It's a little crazy. I gotta say, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's a, it's a little crazy, but I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, whenever you, uh, from an an ideological point of view, computers should be open, and I get that. It's just when you give people openness, some people screw up badly with that access, and I wouldn't mind a future where. You shouldn't be able to plant malware. You shouldn't be able to, you know, to to change files in the file system that can break your computer. I'm not saying that people want to use Macs to plant malware or to break critical files, but they have the option to, right? And that shouldn't be an option. I wouldn't mind a future where everything is more secure there's still the ability to customize a lot of things. There's better communication between apps, so you can choose to, I don't know, to save documents whenever you want. You know, to, there's better support for change, exchanging data between apps. But it's just, I look at this transmission story, and I'm like, you know, this shouldn't be possible. Why is it that you have to go on a website to download some software, and that software puts up a ransom on your screen? I get why... The political side of things is like, yes, you should be able to download any type of software from the web. And then if that software has a problem, well, that's your fault. But it shouldn't be this way, you know? It's like selling a car without an airbag to consumers. If you crash your car and you don't have an airbag, well, that's on you. But it shouldn't be that way, you know? Mm -hmm. nah, maybe I'm just weird. I don't know. Steven is never going to leave us alone again. Steven is going to be upset. You're aware of this, right? Steven is going to... I know, I know. Like, I there know. are so many things we've done this week that, like, he will just be I, I've, screaming. I've said so many wrong things for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Don't die. I'm trying not to. <laughs> oh, dear. 
All right, let's take a break. And then on the other side uh, of this ad, we can maybe upset some more people. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture everyday detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands, takes away the things that you don't want to have to worry about, like scaling, hosting, what to do if you get stuck with something. They make sure they've got all of that taken care of. With their state-of-the-art technology, they will power your site and it's your security and stability, and they're trusted by millions of people around the world because of that. They have 24-7 support with live chat and emails. If you get stuck with something, they have people on hand to help. They have beautiful templates that feature responsive design. They're really great to customize, and they all look fantastic. They have rock-solid fast hosting, a commerce platform to sell physical and digital goods, and so much more. If you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card needed today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, don't forget the offer code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D, at checkout. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Connected and Relay FM. Thank you to Squarespace for their continued support. All right, so Federico, you've been using drafts mm-hmm. recently um, yes. in, in a new way for you, um, and we've been meaning to talk about this for a bit, so I'd be interested to know what you're up to. So I've been using drafts as a blogging app okay. as, as my text editor of choice for not just notes, uh, but for articles, you know, for stories, for reviews and, and you know, uh, newsletters, uh, everything that I do. Okay. Which is odd because, you know, Drafts is not positioned as a text editor. It's more of a, you know, capturing tool. You open the app to jot down a note real quickly and then you share that text with other apps, usually. It's where, I mean, I believe the tagline of Drafts is it's where the, it's where text starts or something like that. But actually... Yeah, where text starts, that's that's the tagline. And that's kind of uh, what what it's become and kind of where it started right it was like you have something that you want to throw in and then you put it somewhere else and and it's incredible for that and has really grown more and more over the years yeah and it's grown so much that at this point with ios 9 so split view and the shortcut bar you can do a lot of things in drafts that are not too dissimilar from what you can do in run writer or even editorial and actually, it can be it can be even a, a lot more than those apps because of the insane control the drafts gives you over you know the creation of actions and uh, you know keyboard commands. So what I did is I wanted to see if I could use drafts to initially just to create uh, linked posts, but I liked the experience so much that I started using it for all types of uh, articles on Mac Stories. So I came up with a few actions that I use all the time. Uh, those actions I, I pinned to the shortcut bar for easier access. And I started using drafts mostly in split view next to Safari or Tweetbot. You know, when I'm linking to something and I want to, you know, look at the, the web page at the same time... Um, 
but also when I'm writing reviews, uh, I can use drafts, you know, next to notes so I can look up, you know, my first impressions of an app or next to photos so I can uh, double check screenshots or next to the app I'm writing about, you know, so I can try the app and write on the other side. Drafts, uh, the big problem is it doesn't use Dropbox for sync. It uses iCloud. And uh, I come up with actions to sort of replicate having Dropbox sync. I basically just, every time I make a change to a draft, to, to a text file, I, I save the drafts to my Dropbox account. So if I want to, I can go back to RunWriter or Editorial and I can make changes in Dropbox as well. Uh, it, it's not ideal. I wouldn't mind the future where uh, Drafts connects to your Dropbox account, but, you know, for now, it's iCloud. Uh, one thing that I, uh, that I really liked is the ability to do all kinds of actions and to browse community actions. So the reason why I like Drafts is Greg Pierce, the developer, is super active with the app. Uh, is constantly developing new stuff, which I like. Uh, you know, we we talked about this a few shows ago. Uh, I like apps that are actively, you know, developed, and I like constant updates. But also, there's a strong community of drafts users making actions, making scripts, making custom keys. So if if you don't want to waste time, you know, coming up with actions that you need, you can just go to the drafts website the action directory uh, you can find you know hundreds of examples so that's nice uh, and also i've been i've been liking the fact that uh, it is an app built for markdown um you know the way that you w- interact with plain text the keyboard shortcuts uh the actions everything is uh built for markdown users you can choose between different Markdown previews, different Markdown flavors, you know. There's a Markdown, multi-Markdown. There's another one, I don't remember the name. Um, you can also uh, do your own custom previews. So I did my custom Mac Stories CSS. <laughs> so every time I preview an article, it looks like it would, it would look on the website, which is nice. Despite this appreci- appreciation, Mike, I still miss editorial. And I feel like this is sort of like, you know, I'm coming to terms with my with my lost love in mm-hmm. in, in a way. Okay. Uh, at, first, at first it was like, yes, I'm breaking up with you. I don't want to hear about you ever again. Then I like, you know, I kind of I kind of miss the app. And now I'm uh, I'm like I really miss the app. You know, I'm at the stage where Drafts is great, even if it's not meant for, for, you know, blogging or text editing. And one writer is great, but I, I, I miss the more advanced stuff. Like, I miss in-document search. I miss Dropbox versions. I, I, I miss the, you know, the ability to fold paragraphs and to rearrange them. And as I was having these thoughts yesterday, uh, Ole, the developer of Editorial, released a new beta. Yep. He also talked about it on Twitter today, so uh, you know I can I can share it. There's a new version, version one point three of Editorial, finally adding iPad Pro and iOS nine support, and it is glorious, Mike. 
and I've been I've been trying the app this morning and it's you know it's like finding an old love all over and falling in love all over again uh, so I don't know I feel like iOS 9 and the lack of an editorial update caused uh, and led me to a period of confusion and uh, I was like I was like a tech uh, a text editor vagabond in many ways I I didn't know where to go um, so I tried a lot of different things and I managed to replicate a lot of the key workflows and things that I need to automate but it's just I come to that point to the tipping point where I'm like you know for this I, I still need editorial and as much as I like to fight it and to say well I can find alternatives uh, there's just that point where I'm like, you know, there's that software that does everything I need. Now it's coming back with an update and maybe I should just move again. My concern is that right now I'm saying, oh man, this is awesome. Editorial is coming back. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm falling in love again. But what if, you know, iOS 10 comes out and editorial doesn't get an update, you know, uh, and, and it gets an update six months later. And I find myself in this position all over again by September or by October, you know? What if that's the case? What am I going to do? So, I don't know. I'm confused, Mike. I feel like I need your, your, your advice. I think that at this point, as, as great as it is, um, maybe, maybe editorial is a risk, uh, if you need new features, I mean, the app never broke. It just wasn't, you know, it it wasn't updated in the way mm -hmm. that we like. You know, in the same way that we uh, have been complaining about um, Google and, and stuff like that. Although, admittedly, right, Ole is just the one guy. Mm -hmm. But still... Many applications have been updated, um, and I don't know the situation for him in which it took the time that it took, but it did take that time. So I think what you have here is a risk um, that you need to assess, and, I, and in all honesty, I think you've you've pretty much assessed it and have, have worked now with two apps. So you wrote that big piece about one writer, mm -hmm. and now you've been using Drafts. Mm -hmm. um, quite a lot and I think that what you have now is the ability to move a lot of your work to other applications when you need to yes so if editorial is currently being worked on and you're happy with it then I would say go to it but always remember the more and more complex things you build in the worse it will be if you have to mm. step away. Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm not building new complex things for um, text editing as much as I used to. Uh, if only because I'm, I'm doing complex things in workflow now. But I don't, I don't do any, any Python anymore, really. That's a, uh, I think that's a very good thing. You know, uh, the, the workflow team, I feel like... the. You know they're committed to to workflow. This is their job. They've at least shown that so far. And the, anything yes. can change, but but right now they have uh, they've really shown so far that they are committed to the development of the application. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's been always updated, you know, iOS 8, iOS 9, all, all updates in between. So it's been a good track record so far. Uh, and so I feel like most of the automation that I do, I do in Workflow now. And in fact, to move back to editorial, I just needed to, you know, to, to replicate like four actions. Uh, there's the, the more advanced stuff or, you know, there's a couple of workflows that I need occasionally. But really, what I miss is a real text editing environment. You know, mm -hmm. search, versions. Uh, those are features that um, that you don't get in a note-taking app. You know what I mean? Like, like it, yeah. I want a real app to write and to research. Like drafts could still play a real valuable part yeah. in your workflows when you're posting small things or you know you have notes for something that you yeah. want to turn into something else. But when you want to sit down and write a, a really heavy article, a book which, you know, you do now, yep. you write books, um, you, you what, may... <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, you, you maybe want to be in a, a app that is completely dedicated to that type of thing. Scrivener is on the horizon again. I know. <laughs> uh, that You know, that might be, again, another one to think about a little bit later down the road, if it ever does come out. There's also uh, Ulysses. Ulysses, yeah, I feel... What is the situation? Have they got a iPad uh, out? It almost. Almost. Okay. So there's another mm -hmm. one. Um, very, very soon, Mike. Man, it's so interesting to me that there's so many text editors. But, you know, it seems like there is a real market. People want that stuff. People write on these devices quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I've been playing around with one writer um, a little mm -hmm. bit more. And, and that, is a, that is a great app. Um, but I did receive a editorial beta invite today, um, so I will be trying it out. Um, editorial is another app which has incredible complexity, but I was able to build some actions with it because it, you know, going back to earlier talking about workflow, yeah. it's not. It has the ability to help you through the process with yes. the visual kind of layout, but that thing can get can get crazy. Um, so what do you think you're gonna do? <laughs> You're gonna um, you're, you're gonna throw caution to the wind and run back into the warm embrace of editorial. That's probably unwise, but you know, I I only live once. <laughs> Screw it, man. <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, here's my plan. There are some actions that are my key things. So I want to be able to add footnotes to a document quickly. I want to add hyperlinks quickly. I want to preview with with uh, a preview that looks like my website. I want to publish with a workflow. All of those things I can I have the same actions across editorial, across one writer, well, except the custom preview and drafts. So the basic set of what I need is is taken care of. It's like I'm like the CGP Gray of text editor here. <laughs> I have three different apps with the same set of actions. So you know it's like a redundant automation. If something goes wrong, I can move to the other app. If I move to tutorial now, I can take advantage of some of the uh, ad advanced features that I used to miss, like search or. Uh, some more complex workflows, but I only run those, you know, maybe a couple of times a month. 
So I think I'm gonna try to see what happens if I if I fall back in love with the editorial. But if anything goes wrong, I'm young enough to you know be cursed and move back. I'm like I'm not like an old man. I'm not like seventy year old man. They take away their typewriter and he's all cranky and he's gonna stop working i'm young and i can move back and can i can try things whatever yes mike i'm gonna i'm gonna move but i've just decided right now oh wow look at that yeah I, I mean what's what's the worst that could happen to me worst case scenario we do another show but that's not a that's not bad news that's more content, Mike. <laughs> we love we love the content. You like content? Yeah, I'm a big fan. But <laughs> so, going back to drafts a little bit, let's let's give drafts a little bit more. Uh, it's love. amazing. It's it, no, no, no. It's not that I'm hating on drafts. No, no, I know. But so, like originally, we were really just going to talk about drafts, but now editorials thrown. Oh yeah, uh, a yeah. big Python spanner into the works. <laughs> you know. Yes. Uh, I really feel like Greg is one of the top developers for plain text and note-taking on iOS. Drafts is seriously amazing. I mean, um, the amount of control that it gives you with the the variables, um, the actions that you can make, you know, you can mix and match uh, traditional steps in actions or JavaScript. So you can write your own code. And interact with the with with, with the drafts, and I, and I do that for some actions, and it's super you know super handy. Um, iCloud Sync b- works well enough, you know, across the iPhone and iPad. Um, you can you can integrate with with web services. There's Safari View Controller if you want to have a you know a, a web browser inside of drafts, which is great. And really, the strongest point in favor of drafts, I would say, is the constant support. So there's a if you're on the beta track on test flight, there's a beta every other day basically, and Greg is always working on drafts. It's what he does. Uh, he's, he works on drafts and other and other apps for iOS. Of you know, uh, is it's his job. So, I mean, again, let's compare it to editorial again. If there is a new feature, mm-hmm. Greg puts it in. Yes. Right, like it is in and it's in quick. Yes. That's a big difference. Like this yeah. is an application that you can bank is going to get updated. Yep. Right. So you just iOS does a split view. Well, Greg is going to have split view. You know. Yeah. You can count on it. And it's not just that either. Like it's like no. okay, I want to build a JavaScript engine inside of this thing. Yep. So like, he just does it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. There. It, uh, this is an application that is incredible. Um. And you know, like look at things like Apple Watch, right? Like he finds a way to to make something interesting there. Yeah. Widgets. Yeah, or you know uh, the the keyboard on the iPad. You can you can customize the shortcut bar, 3D touch. I mean, it does everything. As soon as iOS changes, Greg is on it. You know, so that's a big point for drafts. And I would say that if you do if you don't do any long form editing, if you don't need to do any project based organization of a of a book or you know of a, of a of a large essay, you know, uh, I would strongly suggest drafts. It's it works really, really great. I've been keeping an eye, Mike, uh-huh. on uh, IA Writer. Yep. So uh, uh, they don't. These guys they don't have 
a lot of uh, nerd cred <laughs> in the iOS community. And I think it's because of, um, of a patent thing they did a couple well, of years ago. Not only that, they, they had like a massive update and the app was kind of weird and super expensive and it was broken. Like it was, you know. I, I See, I don't remember what happened because at one point there was like both IA Writer and Writer Pro. Yeah. But now there's no more Writer Pro. It's... Yeah, it's very... I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember there was a big... There was a big to-do about about something they were up to. Yeah. Anyway, um, I believe they tried to trademark something or they tried to file a patent for, like, a text uh, syntax feature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, if you discard the, the drama here... IA, IA Writer is a really solid text editor, Mike. Um, you know, it's got a lot of options, a lot of writing tools. My only complaint for now is that it doesn't have a shortcut bar, you know, with customizable keys. So I cannot use it for uh, multitasking, you know, because it, you cannot show the shortcut bar. Um, you, you can show the shortcut bar in multitasking. You cannot show custom keyboard rows in multitasking. So it's, it's solid, but not yet for me. So um, IA Writer uh, tried to patent syntax control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. There's a big, big article on the Verge forums about this, um, which I'm gonna put in the in the show notes. It's got lots of tweets and such and such. If you want to read it, but yeah, they were trying to, they were threatening people that wrote other um, iOS writing apps. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And they lo- they lost a lot of uh, goodwill, I feel like. I feel like that's a real good way to lose goodwill, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's just so you know, so I'm, I'm patenting podcasts and I'm going after NPR. Just so you know, that's that's my current... No, it's, current. it's even worse when you when you threaten to go after, you know, after, you know yeah. the, the small guys, the small yeah. companies, the indie folks. And the iOS de- developer community is so... Every member is so close to each other... You know, and uh, many of these uh, competitors, they know each other. They get together at WWDC. So when yep. you come in and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go after you, and, you know, it's kind of like a bad It's a very uh, competitive, collaborative environment. Yeah. Right? They compete yeah. but help each other, yes. which is one of the great things. And I love that that extends to our world of podcasting as yes. well. Yes, Um But, yeah, you, do, you don't want to start throwing your weight around. No, that, I don't think. no, no. So yeah, so, they, they have a decent app. Um, I know quite a few people that use it and really like it, but it depends if you want to look past that sort of stuff. It's up to you if you want to. Yeah. So Mike, um, what what's the takeaway here? Uh, there's an editorial beta, and I'm trying to move back because I miss editorial. But drafts is also great. Still on my home screen. I'm um, you know I recommend the app. I think I think the kind of the big takeaway is this is a environment that is prime yes for update innovation for it's a real great you know what's the what's the term the design playground term right that yes that i think was it john gruber coined that about twitter yes um and it seems like that that is still the case for text editors on ios and note-taking applications. Yeah, you know, because iPhones and iPads are great for note-taking, great for long-form writing, and 
you know, with multitasking, there's even more to consider. If you're a developer, you want to make one of these types of apps. There's a lot of features you can implement. Um, it's a, it's a, it's the kind of platform that you know for writing. It's it has serious potential, and I believe that's the reason why we're seeing a lot of apps getting updates or new apps. Uh, like I said, Ulysses is also coming. Uh, look for you know a review on MacStories real soon. Um, it's a good time. It's a good time to love Markdown and plain text, Mike. On that, uh, if you want to find our show notes this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connect slash 81. Thanks again to Casper and Squarespace for supporting this week's episode. If you want to find Federico online, he is at Vitici on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes over at maxstories.net. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and of course, don't forget Mr. Stephen Hackett, who's somewhere in the world right now. He's at ISMH on Twitter, and he writes over at 512pixels.net. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week, hopefully as a full crew. Until then, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci.